had a really blessed week this week. Uh, my wife and I had the privilege to go to the Council on National Policy. Uh, we were invited by Congressman Bob McHugh and his wife, Liz, and uh, we went. And um, <clears throat> I was real excited to go. There was a number of great speakers. The, the first day we were there, it was a panel discussion. It had uh, our own Kevin and Sam Sorbo, also Kirk Cameron, who's from our community, um, they were up there and they were talking about influencing arts and entertainment, the cultural mountain of influence. They did a great job. <clears throat> um, and then uh, I was actually, I loved hearing them, but I have access to them and I can hear that stuff. The person I was really excited about meeting was a hero of mine. He's, he's about that tall. I, I took a picture with him. He's not very tall, but he's a giant of a man. And, um, his, his name is Dr. Larry Arn. He's a president of Hillsdale college. And Dr. Arn has been for me such an inspiration to build a bridge of this understanding of a constitutional republic and why we have this freedom of religion and the free exchange of ideas that has caused Christianity to flourish. And it's really the only nation on the earth that has that. That's why 85 cents of every dollar in evangelism comes from the United States, because we have this freedom. And the simplicity of, of our mission statement, the Declaration of Independence, as well as our bylaws, which is our constitution, and to understand that, he has been instrumental. And I told Dr. Arn, well, I wanted to meet him. I didn't think there'd be a chance. And uh, Congressman McEwen, who was doing the announcing, uh, he said, are you having a good time? I said, I'm having a great time. I can't wait for Dr. Arn to speak. He's just a hero. And he says, do you want to meet him? I go, uh, her, her? And he says, okay, um, sit back here with me. So I sat back there and he says, towards the end, we'll go to the back um, when he comes off the stage and we'll go to the green room. So he says, okay, let's go. So we went back there and I heard the rest of it from behind the stage. And uh, Dr. Arn finishes, he comes down. Congressman McEwen says, uh, uh, Dr. Dr. Arn, uh, this is Rob McCoy. He's a senior pastor at Calvary Chapel Godspeak. And he's also a council member in the city of Thousand Oaks. And the two of you have a lot to talk about. So I'm going to go. And he walks away. I'm like, ha, <laughs> So he says, uh, what do we have to talk about? And I said, uh, Dr. Arn, I, I just have been so looking forward to meeting you. I said, as a minister, if I want to teach on Matthew 23, there's hundreds of sermons online, endless material to, to glean from. People have already done the scholarship work and the heavy lifting. Um, and I said, but if I want to teach on anything pertaining to the Constitution or how it pertains to Christendom and, and our nation and why it's so significant from a biblical perspective. I don't have any resources out there but yours. And I've listened to all of your online courses that are free at Hillsdale. And I said, and you, you've been instrumental in this. And I, and I said, what I'm hoping for is most of the seminaries in America have kind of a socialist bend. And they, they don't understand civic uh, government. They don't understand what we've been given in a constitutional republic. They don't understand how we have these freedoms and how they're protected. And, and most pulpits are silent only because they haven't been trained. And I said, I would love if you had any young people that wanted to come and participate in understanding the Christian side of it, you know, which you already do, but taking the classics and the study of civics and putting the two together and having this influence across the country. He said, we need to sit down. And he'd come over and he said, first of all, I need your phone number. I need your email address. And he starts writing all this stuff down. And as I'm sharing it, he says, this is fantastic. He said, um, if you have any, any of these young people that want to do this, I'll give them a scholarship. I said, well, that's great. I appreciate that. But I really want to go deeper with it. I want to create across the country. He said, you're going to be my guest, you and your wife. You come out to Hillsdale College for a week. We're going to sit down. We're going to pencil this out. Uh, you just pay for your plane ticket. I'll cover everything on the, and he says, you can't pay for your plane ticket. I'll, I said, I can do the plane ticket. He goes, just come on out. And you're my guest for a week. I'm like, whoa, this is so cool. I was blessed. And his message, and he's the foremost historian on Winston Churchill. His message was unbelievable. Uh, he had referred to Lincoln in a couple of passages that I'll maybe refer to in the sermon today. And then also there was Dennis Prager and he and his wife, Sue. And Dennis and Sue are um, Orthodox Jews. Uh, and here they are speaking to a primarily Christian organization. And uh, his presentation on religious liberty was phenomenal, just absolutely phenomenal. At the end of it, I had spoken on Wednesday night about a video that the Prager University had put out that had caused the evangelical community to break away from Prager University, just this one video. And so I showed the video on Wednesday night and I went through it and it was a real mind bender. And, and uh, the congregation that was there Wednesday night grasped it. And I, I wanted to send that to Dennis so that he would be encouraged. And so I went to go play it and it didn't have the video playing it. So I don't know if you've done this, if you've gone online, I'll be preaching and then I'll refer to a slide and the camera doesn't come off me and, and I'm just standing there and everyone in the congregation is looking at the slide, but nobody online can see it. 
And I, I call Brett and I go, Brett, what is going on? We don't have any, is this, is this a product we've been putting out? And he goes, I, we got to fix it. So God bless the staff. They just worked overtime to get everything fixed. And I got the video completed just in time to give it to Dennis and Sue. And um, it was, it was such a neat tie in to everything that we've been doing as a congregation. And I was so blessed. And so Michelle and I left on um, uh, yesterday, Saturday, we, we came back. And then after this service, I fly to Sacramento uh, for Church United. 100 pastors in California are going to be meeting with assembly members, state senators, uh, this whole idea of understanding civic government and, and the pulpit. And this is a huge move. So, um, and, and really, it is... It, it, it is um, it is a paradigm shift because most churches, and a lot of you still, especially if you're visitors, you're thinking uh, church politics, that's just, then you don't understand, first of all, what we've been given, and you don't understand the role of the church. And, and as you spend more time, and I would encourage you, you'll start to see the connection between the two. Yeah, there's a separation church and state. You keep the state out of the church, but not the church out of the state. This is our conviction. This is how we operate. And John Adams said, only a moral people can govern a republic. And, and I, I had said to a, a group sitting at our table, you know, I'm conservative. I said, oh, that's great. I'm glad you're conservative. Super. And, and we support conservative candidates. Oh, great. I, and my, my comment to one of them was, any, anyone in our congregation that comes on a Wednesday night, if someone says, can I get your support for office? I'm running for office. They've been trained on Wednesday nights to say, oh, sure, but you're going to swear to defend the Constitution against all enemies, foreign and domestic. So could you please tell me how many articles there are in the U.S. Constitution? And the guy's at the table going, I don't even know that. There's seven, by the way. And, and according to the U.S. Constitution, the preamble, can you tell me who the sovereign of the United States is? Who's in charge? It's, it's we the people. And then, and then I said, how many amendments are there? You asked anyone running for, uh, well, you're swearing to defend them and you don't know what they are. How can you defend something you don't know? And we, the people, we're the sovereign, and they represent us. And if we don't know it, how can we hold them accountable to knowing it? Anyone tracking me? So you have this gift of freedom, but if you don't understand it and you don't develop it and you don't educate, we lose it. And what we're going to see in the text today is the one way, and and the the one way that, that truth is suppressed is by making it unbelievably, you, you convolute the truth with, with complication. You make it burdensome and you, you regulate it to the point where nobody understands it. And, and, and I'm, I'm going to set up one more thing before we read. If you've come to the church and you say, you know, I haven't stepped foot in a church in a while and I, I've stayed away from the church because the church is full of hypocrites and, and praise the Lord you're here because there's room for more. And, and, I, and I'm excited you're here because it wasn't just a slam on you. I just want you to know that the author of our faith, the one whom we come to worship, Jesus Christ, takes Matthew 23 and he obliterates hypocrisy. He hates it too. He disdains it. He has eight woes and he's speaking to Pharisees and scribes who are the political leaders and the religious leaders of Israel. And he takes eight woes and he annihilates them with it. And he uses the word fools, brood of vipers. And the word fool in our culture, we go, yeah, you fool. Bigger meaning in, in the Hebrew mindset, moron, idiot. That's what he's saying. And he lays in to these political and religious leaders and he lays out what hypocrisy is. And we're going to take an in-depth look at it. And if we have time at the end, I'm going to take a look at another hypocritical position. And this hypocritical position is not right or left. It's on both sides of the aisle. And it's interesting because it's not only politically on both sides of the aisle, it's religiously hypocritical. And we'll take a look at it. So please stand for the reading of the word of the Lord. Most people are like, I want to go. (laughs) Or maybe you're excited. I don't know. We'll see. Verse 1, chapter 23. Then Jesus spoke to the multitudes and to his disciples, saying, The scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. Therefore, whatever they tell you to observe, that observe and do. 
but do not do according to their works. So these, these scribes and Pharisees are sitting in the seat of Moses. They weren't given that authority by God, but they're sitting there and they're teaching the word and the word doesn't return void, but what they're teaching, go ahead and do, but what they're doing, don't do right. I'll explain that momentarily. Um, verse four, for they bind heavy burdens, hard to bear and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers, but all their works they do to be seen by men. And they make their phylacteries broad. The phylacteries are the things on their heads, these little dealy doos, and they come down and they make them real big. So you go, Oh, wow. That's that. And enlarge the borders of their garments. And they love the best places at the feasts and the best seats in the synagogues, greeting in the marketplaces and to be called by men, rabbi, rabbi, but you do not be called rabbi. For one is your teacher, the Christ, and you are all brethren. Do not call anyone on earth your father, for one is your father, he who is in heaven. And do not be called teachers, for one is your teacher, the Christ. But he who is greatest among you shall be your servant. And whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. And here goes the eight woes. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you shut up the kingdom of heaven against men, for you neither go in yourselves, nor do you allow those who are entering to go in. Second, well, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. Therefore, you will receive greater condemnation. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travel land and sea to win one proselyte. And when he is one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as yourself. Woe to you, blind guides who say, whoever swears by the temple, it is nothing. But whoever swears by the gold of the temple, he is obliged to perform it. Fools and blind, for which is greater, the gold or the temple that sanctifies the gold? And whoever swears by the altar, it is nothing. But whoever swears by the gift that is on it, he is obliged to perform it. Fools and blind, for which is greater, the gift or the altar that sanctifies the gift? Therefore, he who swears by the altar swears by it and by all things on it. And he who swears by the temple swears by it and by him who dwells in it. And he who swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and him who sits on it. Next woe. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you pay tithe and mint and anise and cumin. Those are little spices, tiny. They break it down to the next, the little seed, a tenth of each seed that you have. And have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faith, uh, faith, excuse me. These you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. Blind guides who strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. A camel is the largest unclean beast in the known world, and they're swallowing one whole. Verse 25, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you cleanse the outside of the cup and dish, but inside you are full of extortion and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisees, first cleanse the inside of the cup and dish, that the outside of them may be clean also. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are likewise whitewashed tombs, which indeed appear beautifully, beautiful outwardly, but inside are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. Even so, you also outwardly appear righteous to men, but inside you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you build the tombs of the prophets and adorn the monuments of the righteous and say, if we had lived in the days of our fathers, we would not have been partakers with them in the blood of the prophets. Therefore, you are witnesses against yourself that you are the sons of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up then the measure of your father's guilt, serpents, brood of vipers. How can you escape the condemnation of hell? This is a really sweet sermon by Jesus. He's such a precious, just loving. Okay. Therefore, indeed, I send you prophets, wise men and scribes. Some of you will kill and crucify, and some of them you will scourge in your synagogues and persecute from the, the city. By the way, uh, uh, 10 of the, of the 12 prophets will die martyrdom. Or t t uh, 10 of the 12 apostles will die martyrdom. So this is prophetic. Um, verse, uh, whatever, 34. Therefore, indeed, I send you prophets, wise men, scribes, you kill, crucify. Some of them you'll scourge in your synagogues, persecute from the city and city that on you may come all the righteous blood shed on the earth from the blood of the righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah to the son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the, uh, the temple and the altar. Assuredly, I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. And then finally, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who were sent to her. How often I wanted to gather you together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. See, your house has left you desolate. For I say to you, you shall see me no more till you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Lord, we ask your blessing on the study of your word and Holy Spirit, lead us into all truth. Lord, prepare our hearts to receive all that you'd have for us. And we thank you that we live in a land where there is the free exchange of ideas.
that you've given us freedom. Now, the attempt to suppress that so that one voice could not be heard, but yet, Lord, you allow us to contend for that freedom that voices could be heard. And we're grateful that we would know the truth and the truth would set us free. So, Lord, bless our time together, we pray, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, have a seat, relax, but not too much. Jesus speaks to the multitude, saying, The scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. Therefore, whatever they tell you to observe, that observe and do, but do not do according to their works. For I say to you, for they, are, they bind heavy burdens, hard to bear. They lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. But all their works they do to be seen by men, that they make their phylacteries broad and enlarge the borders of their garments. They love the best seat. They love to be called rabbi. They love to have the best seat at the table when it's time to eat. The Lord says, don't let any man call you father. Don't let him call you teacher. This idea is he's saying that you have one teacher, that's the Lord. And he lays this out to them. And what's fascinating about it is in this passage of scripture, Jesus addresses with eight woes, this word hypocrisy, hypocrisy. Hypocrisy complicates instead of simplifies. Hypocrisy complicates instead of simplifies. Hypocrisy complicates instead of simplifies. Truth simplifies. Truth simplifies. Hypocrisy complicates. I'll give you an example. Uh, truth is cutting and it hurts. Yes? Truth is cutting and it hurts. I, I used to get my laundry done, my dry cleaning done when I was in San Jose across the street and there's a Chinese lady. Uh, her name was Sarah. And, um, uh, and, and I'd walk over with my laundry. And, and back then, I'd, it would be like three weeks. I couldn't pick up my laundry because I didn't have the money to pay for it. So I'd just sit there. So time would pass between visits. And I remember walking in there to go pick up my laundry. She goes, you've gained weight. You're fat. <laughs> and I go, Sarah, thank you for your truthfulness. I just want to tell you about American culture. We usually do it a little differently. You look very happy. You look like you've been enjoying yourself lately. Jesus says, speak the truth in love. Speak the truth in love. You've often heard me say that truth without love is brutal, i.e. Sarah. Anyone? <laughs> it hurt. I'm just telling you, true, painful. Truth without love is brutal. Love without truth is hypocritical. Example point in case. A woman being beaten by her husband who's an alcoholic she says, I'm leaving. And in this drunken stupor, he says, I swear to God, I'll never drink again. I'll never hit you again. I love you. I love you. You know, I love you. And he's emotionally, he's crying. I love you. He sobers up. He tries to do it. He drinks a little bit and he beats her again. He may have had the emotion. He may have been endeared to her, but he had no intention of ever walking away from the drink. And thus he was hypocritical. I said, I'd do it, but I didn't. And I had no intention of leaving the alcohol. I just don't want you to leave me. I want all the benefits of marriage without the requirements of it. So love without truth is hypocritical. Truth without love is brutal. You speak the truth in love. There's a balance. When we were at this event, my wife and I, we went and sat through uh, a panel discussion. There were two young men on the outside, two women on the inside. Uh, they all go on Christian, or excuse me, they all go on uh, secular campuses to uh, stand in opposition to abortion and they get beat up and they get reviled and they get maligned and on and on and on. And uh, the two outside, the guys on the outside are confrontational. They're contending for ideology. And when you listen to them, they're, they're saying, you know, th th this is an ideological battle. We're contending. They're the enemy. We are fighting for ideological high ground. We have to confront this. It's brutal. You have to contend in their vernacular. You've got to do these things. And you're like, whoa, yeah. And the two gals in the center are saying, well, we do the same thing, but we're dealing with individuals and we're, we're, we're dealing with broken people. And we're, we're, we're understanding and sympathetic. We're dealing with broken people. And the, one of the guys on the outside says, I get that, but this is what we're doing. And the girls go, well, this is what we're doing. And in the room, and I'm over there going, yeah. And then I listen to the girls, well, yeah. Did y'all get that? And I'm thinking to myself, if I were a Jew in Auschwitz, 
I wouldn't go up to the, the Nazi guard and say, what's your brokenness that would bring you to this place? If I were a slave on a plantation in the South, I wouldn't go up to the plantation and say, what brokenness brought you to this place of doing this brutality? You're tracking the two guys on the outside, yes? But in the same regard, we're to love those. We, 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 we do good to those who persecute us. We love our enemies, right? Yes? I didn't say that. Jesus did. Hello? So one of the things the Lord showed me is on the macro, you're battling for ideology. On the micro, it's human beings. And you're civil and kind and you operate in that context. Right? So this is a balance. It's truth and love. It's the balance. And, and, and I get that. But what happens is, and what you see here, is you have these, these re- religious and political leaders, these Pharisees and these scribes, who are putting heavy burdens on the people, hard to bear. They lay them on men's shoulders. As an example, the, the, the Sabbath, Jesus said, you know, the seventh day is holy unto me, rest. For six days I created, the seventh day I rested. You do the same. And it's simple, rest. Take a day off. Well, these Pharisees and these scribes wrote 40 volumes of a Talmud strictly dealing with the Sabbath. And, and the rules that they put on the Sabbath, you have to wash your hands with a half, a, a half egg shell of water three times on this hand, three times on that hand. Your hands have to be down so they drip down. And, you know, you've got all these rules and regulations. You're not allowed to walk this distance. You're not allowed to carry. You're not allowed to, if you spit on the ground, that's considered making mud, which is making brick. And that's not acceptable. And it's like, what? 40 volumes of how to observe the Sabbath. I've been in Israel on the Shabbat, the Sabbath. And the only elevator open as everyone's waiting in the lobby was the, the Shabbat elevator. I'm like, hey, there's an open elevator. My wife and I get in it. Well, this is so great. It closes on its own. Wow, I didn't even have to press a button. Goes up to the first floor. Bing, opens up. Oh, I don't, I'm not on the first floor. I'm on the 17th. Bing, closes. Goes up to the second floor. Boom, opens up, closes. I'm like, this is, I, I could have walked up the stairs quicker. And 17 floors. Bing, 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 bing. It's so that you don't have to press a button and work on the Sabbath. That's not relaxing. That's irritating. I mean, I, uh, is the Lord going to condemn me for going 17th floor? But this is this idea. And, and, and they're laying these burdens on people. And they've done this with the Sabbath. And they're doing with everything. And Jesus just goes after them. Now, mind you, he's in the temple. The Pharisees are here. And so are the scribes. And he is lighting them up. And everyone's going, yeah. And the Pharisees like, kill him. And they will shortly. And he is calling them to account. And this is a political confrontation, a cultural transformation. Truth is confronting evil. And it is clashing. And he is using heavy words, hypocrite, brood of vipers, fools, morons. Boom. Bam, 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 bam. And you see this and you're stunned by it. And what he does is he says this idea, they go around, they want to be called rabbi. Now, people often come to me and they say, Pastor Rob, I go, call me Rob. You know what? You have two choices. You can call me your gracious, forthright, magnanimous, illustrious potentate, or you can call me Rob. (laughs) And they go, Rob. Thank you. And I have a doctorate. I worked hard for that. I expect to be called doctor. Now, I understand that. And if a guy has a drill in his hand and I paid him a lot of money and he's going after a root canal, I'm going to call him doctor. Because it, otherwise it hurts more. I'm a doctor. But here's, here's where the experts suppress humanity. You don't have a voice. I'm a doctor. I have a PhD. You're ill-educated. I'm an elite. I know what's best for mankind. And you will address me as such. As a council member, my wife and I have been invited to the Reagan Library on a couple of occasions for events that they're hosting, and we've come to represent the city. And I remember walking in and, you know, oh, your seat's over here. We walk up there, and there in the front row, right in front of the podium, the Honorable Rob McCoy and Michelle McCoy. I'm like, excuse me. 
the truth of it is I look at that and I go, is there someone else coming? I know who woke up in my body this morning. The word honorable doesn't apply here. And I don't know what happened between when I was me and now I'm supposedly that. Right? Now, I have to tell you, I like sitting in the front row. I like having bird's eye view and I like having lunch afterwards with the speaker. That's kind of cool. It's, it's, it's pretty lovely. And they usher you in and they give you the special spot. But the reality is they're, they're wanting to honor you. I didn't ask for it. They put you there. But if I demand that, we're in trouble. And quite honestly, I like sitting in the back. When we were at the CNP event, I was all the way in the back. I like sitting in the back because I'm usually playing on my phone. I can't do that in the front. <laughs> I listen better when I'm playing solitaire. Just simple. And if you have a problem with that, just watch the council meetings. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. Totally kidding. In a serious sort of way. But, but as, as, as you do this, here's, here's one of the things. If you expect to be put in the front, you're in trouble. And, and Michelle and I, we, we come to the dinner that night, and the two, the two folks that invited us, Congressman McEwen and his wife Liz, we were their guests at the CNP. And then there was another gold member, and they're, you know, a couple, and I think it's like $30,000 to be a gold member. You pay annually, and they invite us, and we're, oh, this is so exciting. And we were hanging out with them, and they're dear friends. And it comes time for the dinner. Dennis Prager's speaking, and we're like, oh, this is so exciting. And to get the list of where the tables are, oh, I hope you're sitting with us. Oh, yeah. And we look on it, and oh, we're on table four. And so the gold couple's over there, and Bob and Liz are at table two, and we're looking for our name. Oh, table 27. Is it in the room? And seriously, it's like you got to pack a lunch to go find the table. And we sit down at the table, and I loved it. I loved it. I absolutely adored it. And we're sitting next to neat couples and, and having a great time and laughing and just enjoying ourselves. And, and at the CNP meeting, it's all the wealthy in Christendom contending for, for culture. And then there's people with ministries that need money from the wealthy people that are attending. And so they know what they've signed up for and everybody's networking and trying to make money for their ministries. I have no interest in that. You know, they're all in the book of who's who I'm in the book of who's he. And I'm sitting in the back, just Michelle and I are enjoying the speakers and really being blessed by it and listening to some great, great presentations. A couple comes up to us and they said, oh, we heard you're coming to Santa Barbara to do an American Legacy series, but the mudslides canceled it and we're going to redo it. And you're going to come to our house. We're so excited. And oh, that's great. And, you know, we met them. I never met them. They sought us out. They'd heard about us and they invited us. Apparently their house is next to Oprah Winfrey's. I'm like, whoa, okay. Somebody said, oh, they're really rich. And I'm like, oh, that's great. You know, I don't care. I don't need their money. I don't, I'm not interested in it. It's, it's irrelevant to me, but they seem like really nice people. I'm not there to raise support. You don't have to recognize me. And, and this is one of those pictures that is just so special that Jesus is pointing out. And he said this idea that you don't need to lord it over people. And think about that. I'm a doctor. I have a PhD. If I want your opinion, I'll give it to you. You shut up, do as you're told and like it. Wait a minute. Mm -mm. Mm -mm. We, the people, we've been created in the image of God, endowed by our creator with certain inalienable rights. I have just as much of a voice as you do. And you're not elitist because you've graduated. I'm glad you have knowledge, but knowledge without wisdom is foolishness. I'll tell you what the Bible says you don't believe in God, you're a fool. I didn't say that, the Bible did. The little kids in my Sunday school class that acknowledge the existence of God are, are wiser than any PhD that doesn't acknowledge the existence of God. So I'm glad you have a PhD. I'm glad you put the work in, but it doesn't give you a right to suppress me with all your rules and regulations. And the idea of what they're saying, heavy burdens, hard to bear. I, I have this, this poster, uh, a banner in my office, and I roll it out on a Wednesday night with all of the California um, no, not rules, uh, bureaucracies. Thank you. And, and it just rolls down half the aisle. Everyone's Oh, hundreds of them. And every one of them is staffed and they all are paid with taxpayer dollars and pensions and rolls it out. And if I were to do the federal government, it would go to the parking lot. And it, and it's fascinating to just, are you kidding me? And each of those has rules and regulations. And if you try to run a business in California and the rules and regulations, it's impossible. And they put this burden on you, but they don't adhere to them. 
You have to buy this type of health care, but we get to get what we want. You have to do this, but we get to do this. And they lay all these burdens and heavy issues on you. And, and, and this is what Christ is addressing. And, it, and it's angering him. He says, let me tell you, he who is greatest among you shall be your servant. That's why we used to call public officials public. Now they're the elites that rule the stupid. That's not me. Amen. And whoever exalts himself will be humbled and he who humbles himself will be exalted. And then he starts the woes, but woe to you scribes and Pharisees for you shut up the kingdom of heaven against men for you neither go in yourselves, nor do you allow those to enter in. This is a perfect description of hypocrisy, hypocrisy. Listen, for you shut up the kingdom of heaven against men for you neither go in yourselves, nor do you allow those who are entering to go in. Hypocrisy is hypocritic, hypocrisy, which is a Greek word that was used in their theaters, their amphitheaters. And the actor would come out and you, you didn't have um, magnified uh, am- amplification for the voice. And uh, you didn't have makeup or CGI or any of those things. And so they did their own props and they maybe weren't feeling well or they were hung over from the night before of their you know, drunken stupor. And they would put on a mask if they had to play someone sad and they'd put on the sad face. If they had to play somebody happy. They put on the happy face. You could still hear them speaking through the mouthpiece below. And this was the idea of putting on a mask being something that you weren't. We, we operate this way in business. You can see that uh, you're shaking hands and you have evil intent, but you've got this fake smile and you're going, <laughs> no, I'm so excited to work with you and this is going to be such a wonderful partnership and you're thinking I'm going to take you for everything you're worth the other person going you have no idea what you've entered into you think you're tough I'm going to wipe you out and take every penny you own it's good to see you don't bless you there it is it happens in business it happens in acting it happens in politics happens in the church and this is that idea that hypocrisy complicates instead of simplifies what's interesting about all this is in hypocrisy the target always moves because as you can see by this statement of Jesus, you shut up the kingdom of heaven against men for you neither go in yourselves, nor do you allow those who are entering to go in. Hypocrisy knows what the truth is, but doesn't honor it and deliberately keeps people from it. Case in point, Dr. Arn shared, or as he likes to be called, Larry. He said, Abraham Lincoln and Stephen Douglas had the Lincoln-Douglas debates. Lincoln was debating for the abolition of slavery. Douglas was advocating for the continuation of slavery. Douglas stated, using a poor worldview, not centered in truth, that a black man was subhuman. And justified the fact that they were considered no better than cattle, pigs, cow, uh, horses, excuse me, pack animals. They could be bought and sold and traded at the whim of the owner. Whereas Lincoln said, interesting that this is your position, Senator Douglas. A question I have for you is, why do you stop the black man from learning to read. Do you have to do that with a pig or a cow? The subtlety of that argument is this. We are the pinnacle of God's creation. If a man can read, faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word. You'll know the truth and the truth will. So if we want to keep you from freedom, we suppress the truth. We make you ignorant apathetic, lazy. We don't educate you. We indoctrinate you. We suppress an alternative, alternative view. So you can't access it. Anyone use Google lately? You see how that works? But here we have a constitutional Republic of the free exchange of ideas. But if my ideas don't hold weight in debate, then the way that I push mine forward is to silence you and no longer give you a voice. And then I can force it on you. That's called fascism. It's called communism. It's called socialism. We control it. 
Your freedoms are done. We'll tell you what you can think, what you can wear. We'll control the businesses. And in this case, this is what you see. And you don't educate in order to subjugate. And that's the Pharisees. That's hypocrisy. You understand this? They do. Do you understand this? And so he lays this out and he says, woe to you. And that word woe is awful when God's saying it. Be careful. He goes further. He says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You devour widows' houses and for pretense make long prayers. Therefore, you'll receive greater condemnation. There's no bigger stick to hit somebody over the head with than God and to use that to extort money from people. Well, I remember one woman, a widow in Fresno, California, that listened to a minister and she'd send in her life savings, her life savings. I won't go into the minister, but I'll just tell you this. They have an air-conditioned doghouse and they fly jets. And that woman was left for us to care for because all of her funding went to this ministry. And that minister knows how to use God's word in or God's name. And it's God, God, he, he, God, God. God, God wants you to give. And if you give, you'll get back. And hold. You're not tracking me. <laughs> Guess who was left to take care of them? We were. We called the ministry and asked for them. No, we're not giving that back. It ain't going to happen. And that, that didn't even cover 20, maybe 10 minutes of jet fuel forever they were flying next and the long prayers. If you've been in, you've been in services like that where they're praying forever and you're like, I'll just give you money. If you'll shut up. <laughs> I picked on Jim Mather last service. I'm not going to do it now. Cause he's here. <laughs> <laughs> but people say, pastor, would you pray for the meal? I said, sure. Lord, thank you for this food. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, I didn't even have time to bow my head, pastor. Sometimes it's a little longer. I'll say, Lord, thank you for the food and for the company. In Jesus' name, amen. Others do their morning devotion (laughs) while my food is getting cold. And I'm thinking, come on, man. And I didn't say uh, Jim Mather's name, but I was saying, come on. (laughs) Now, I understand that there's a desire to let everyone, and I get all that. And, and for, for Jim and anyone else who prays like that, this, that's not what the Lord is pointing out here. It's folks trying to manipulate through their prayers and reiterating the guilt and the condemnation until they can take your pocketbook. He says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travel land and sea to win proselytes. And when, one is, when, when he is one, you make him twice the son of hell as you are. And you find these folks that are bent and twisted and you, you manipulate them and teach them to be just as wired as you are. And you just feed them, take away any other access to any other material and tell them, and, and, and this idea of a, of a world utopia, a world utopia. I watch as our seminaries are doing it. We've removed a whole contingent of scripture. We pour into these young folks. They come in and they have no idea of the rest of the world. And we manipulate the teaching and, and why California spends unbelievable amounts of money on education. Yet we are below the, the top 40 in the nation of 50 states. 56% don't graduate in the LA unified school district. This is heavy. And so as you go through this, he says, woe to you blind. And, and by the way, that's not education. That's indoctrination. And you're making them to believe what it is they're supposed to believe. And you suppress the truth. Woe to you blind. We don't teach them how to learn. We just tell them what they're supposed to know. Woe to you blind guides who say, whoever swears by the temple, it is nothing, but whoever swears by the gold of the temple, he is obliged to perform it. Fools and blind. He goes on further to say, which is greater the gift or the altar that sanctifies the gift. And that's, that falls on, on, on business, but it falls more on the church. Honestly, if we were to find what is a successful church, it's described by buildings, budgets, and baptisms. How big is your building? How many baptisms? And what's your budget? And when I was at the CNP, it's Christian industry. 
And these are folks that are going for the money. Now, I don't fault them because the folks that are there have the money and the folks that are coming to get the money, they know what they're there to do. And they're presenting themselves and on and on and on. And that's it. But the idea of don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. And, and if you have a need, you let, them, let it be known to the Lord. And this idea of an organic ministry that grows. And, and, and we really, we say, uh, there, was a, there was a story of the Pope. And if you're Catholic, uh, exchange it with a Protestant minister. It's irrelevant. And, and this isn't the current Pope. This was a Pope you didn't like. And the Pope is looking at the treasury of the, of the Catholic Church, the Vatican, big treasury, and he says, hmm, I guess it can no longer be said, silver and gold, have I none? At which point the treasurer says, and yes, neither can we say, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. You see, when the church starts focusing on the money, they lose the mission. And you all become giving units. Right? That's a problem. You see, the scripture says you rise and fall before one master. That's the Lord. I'm not your master. You don't need to come and counsel with me on who you should or shouldn't marry. That's not my job. This isn't heavy shepherding. I'm not the guy in charge of your life. I'll give you counsel from the word, but you rise and fall before the Lord. I'll lay out the scripture. One of the things I just love about Pastor Brett is when you sit with him for counseling, it is all word and it's precious. And you have to deal with that on your own accord before the Lord. And, and this is that idea that I am not your master. I'm not here to tell you what to do. And when you get to a place where you see these Pharisees and these, these scribes that Jesus is, is addressing, it's dangerous because a pastor to protect the assets will dial down the truth just as long as you keep giving. And I won't talk about blood. I won't talk about sin. I won't talk about any of the difficult topics. Let's not talk about divorce. Let's not talk about abortion. Let's not talk about, let's just stay away from that. Just to keep your butts in the seats. Because that becomes about the mighty dollar. And that's dangerous. And then he says this, verse 23, woe to you scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you pay the tithe of mint, anise, and cumin, and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. These you ought to have done without leaving the others undone, blind guides who strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. <laughs> this, is, this is interesting. At this point, um, Titus Vespasian in 70 AD destroyed the temple. And in the destruction of the temple, Titus Vespasian, the Roman ruler, found over today's equivalent, found over $10 million in silver stashed in the temple. They had been milking the people. And, and money is everything. And they lay this burden, they lay this burden upon the people with this concept where they say, you pay the tithe of mint and anise and cumin. You are requiring the people to to give a tenth down to the seed, anise and cumin are seeds, down to the tenth. Now, I have to tell you something. And there are folks that would be like, please don't do this. Tithing is not a commandment for the church. Some of you are like, oh, <laughs> praise the Lord. Amen. It isn't a, you're not bound by tithing. Abraham wasn't bound by the tithe. He gave it willingly. He was bound to circumcise. And you see in Acts 15 where the, the issue that they were arguing over in the church was, are they to be circumcised or not? Not whether they're to tithe. You don't see tithing in the book of Acts. You don't see it taught in the four gospels. You don't see it expounded upon anywhere in the epistles. You see for church doctrine to be established for church practice and doctrine to be established, there needs to be three things. It has to be found in the life and the teachings of Jesus in the Gospels. Secondly, it has to be practiced in the book of Acts. And third, it has to be expounded upon in the epistles. If it's not there, we're not bound by it. Foot washing. You find one reference or two in the Gospels. You don't find it anywhere in the book of Acts. And you kind of see it alluded to in the epistles. So we don't practice foot washing. And I'm glad because you don't want to see my feet. Especially right now, I have an ingrown foot, toenail, it's awful. You'd be like, oh, yeah, this is not good. That's TMI. Let's move on. 
You see, tithing, leave a church if they're pounding you for money. It's hypocrisy. It's hypocrisy. The only time we talk on money is if the text talks on money like today. I'm not going to do a message on tithing because I, we have a, a, a dip in the budget. The only thing I control is spending. I can't control giving. And if I can control giving, we're in trouble. I'm not going to show you a thermometer. I'm not going to do a building fund. I'm not going to appeal to you for funds. I'm not going to do any of that. That's not to say Billy Graham Association or any of these others that say, you know, would you consider? That's all right. But to say God demands you do this. Now, the scripture says, you know, the first fruits making God first. It's always great. And there's, there's principles in the Old Testament where God blesses you. You can't outgive the Lord. And people say, you know, tithing is, is you know, the law. We're under grace. Yeah. But remember, too, grace is greater than the law. The beauty of it is God loves a cheerful giver, not out of guilt or compulsion. And what I absolutely adore about this fellowship, which makes me the, the proudest pastor in the entire world. On a good Sunday, we average about 500 people, plus or minus. 500 people. The health of a church is not dictated by the size of its budget, but by the people who give, meaning their time, treasures, and talents. It's an overflow of their heart. 500 people, average. I had a pastor say to me one time, who was my mentor, he said, don't count the size of the offering, count the number of people who give. We average about 90 checks a week, whether that's online or written checks, times four, because you give once a month. Some people give every week, but typically once a month. So what's nine times four? 360, right? And it's probably couples, so multiply that by two. That's a lot of people. What that tells me is everyone in the church freely gives. Do you know how healthy that is and how special that is? It's not out of guilt or compulsion. I have no idea what you're giving. And that's between you and the Lord. And I can tell you, I know it's not out of guilt or compulsion. It's a willingness. That's the beauty. It's not compulsory. It's willingly. And this is what keeps us away from trouble. Almost finished. This is, I love this one. Look at verse 25. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you cleanse the outside of a cup and dish, but inside you're full of extortion, self-indulgence. Blind Pharisees first clean the inside of the cup and the dish that the outside may be clean also. I don't know if you've ever been to a restaurant and you're taking a drink of the water and you're like, oh, this is so good. And you're drinking it. You just see this big old loogie stain at the bottom of the glass. And you're like, oh God, please let that be on the outside of the glass. And you're just about to drink that last sip and you reach your hand over and you're like, ee, 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 and nothing moves. You're like, oh. Anyone? <laughs> Nobody likes that, right? Oh, the outside was so clean. And the inside is just not good. It's kind of like that. Cleanse the, first the inside of the cup so that the outside is also clean. Here, here's the thing. We don't want people looking to us internally. We want to make rules and regulations that you have to follow that we don't. And people who are typically legalistic saying don't drink, smoke, or chew, or hang around with those who do are the ones that want to keep you at a distance because they don't want you to look at their own life. And really what the word of God says is clean up your side of the street and then people are moved by your life. But if you're walking around and you're a heresy hunter and a hip, hypocrite and you're telling people you need to decide, you can't not, I'll tell you what, you spend a little time looking at their life and you're going to realize it is a big loogie at the bottom of their cup. Everybody got that? Let's move on. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, verse 27. Hypocrites, for you like whitewashed tombs, which indeed appear beautiful outwardly, but inside are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. And, and um, what they would do, he says, even so outwardly appear righteous to men, but inside you're full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. It's the same thing that he was expressing with the cup. But actually in Israel during the Passover and Jesus is there getting ready for the Passover. And what they would do as an act of courtesy is if you stepped over a, a tomb or a, a burial site, you were unclean and you couldn't participate in the feast. You travel all the way from the diaspora, from all points of the world to come to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. 
and you step on a tomb and you're unclean and you can't do it. It's like waste of a trip. So as a, as convenience, they would whitewash all these tombs. So you could see them. You're like, Oh, okay. See here. I'll show you a picture. Uh, well, first there's another dirty glass, uh, but then we'll go to this whitewashed tombs, a better picture yet. Look at that. This is what you would see. And you go, Oh, stay away. And you just really keep in you know, distance from that. And you didn't want to get near the tomb. So you could go to the Passover feast. And, and at this point, when Jesus is, speak, is speaking, all of these have been whitewashed, a fresh whitewash. And he points to them, and they're the Pharisees, they're the scribes, and he goes, that's what they are. They look really pretty on the outside, but inside they're full of dead men's bones. You are dead. And you want to talk about just calling somebody to account. He is laying it out, and he is thumping them with it. And then the last thing he says is he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you build the tombs of the prophets, adorn them with monuments of, right, uh, of the righteous, and say, if we had lived in the days of our fathers, we would not have been partakers with them in the blood of the prophets. Therefore, you are witnesses against yourself that you are the sons of those who murdered the prophets. And he goes on to describe what they're going to do to the 10 of the 12 apostles. And here, here's the point. William Wilberforce, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, Jim Elliott, Martin Luther King Jr., Ronald Reagan, Winston Churchill. These are all folks that transformed culture and everyone hated them. Winston Churchill was reviled and put to the back of parliament. If you haven't seen Darkest Hour, you need to. He was reviled and put to the back of parliament and they broke the glass and brought him forward because he's the only one who could contend with Hitler and called him evil. But nobody wanted anything to do with him. And what's amazing is he, they're fighting him and fighting him and he ends up transforming the Western world and saving it. And everyone attaches themselves to Winston Churchill today. Nobody wants anything to do with Martin Luther King Jr., especially the church. And today everyone wants to attach themselves to Martin Luther King Jr. Abraham Lincoln, the church, April 14th, 1865, he's, he's shot in the back of the head by John Wilkes Booth. The great emancipator delivers all the slaves and makes them free. 650,000 people die in a field of battle. He gets a bullet to the back of the head. Holds the union together, survives a civil war, and the pulpits in America on April 15th, 1865, Good Friday, you know what they said about the great emancipator? Shame on him that he died in a movie theater. We love to push and declare ourselves righteous at the expense of someone who's trying to change culture and think ourselves moral. I tire of that. Any donkey can knock down a barn door. Only a carpenter can build one. And anyone who steps out to take a lead, we kill them. And then when they succeed, we were always for them. I was always for them. That's what Jesus is saying. These 12 men changed the world, turned it right side up. 10 of the 12 were murdered. And we call them St. Paul. St. John, St. Peter, St. Matthew. That is the picture. And then he says, assuredly, all these things I say to you, they will come upon this generation that the blood of Zechariah and Berechiah all the way from Abel is going to be on your hands. And within a few short years, all of Israel would be destroyed. They would lose their land the last piece of real estate the Jews held was Masada. The Romans conquered them. They didn't want to be killed by the Romans, so they committed suicide. The last one to draw straws or whatever the game was that they played killed himself, which was a violation, but took it upon himself so that the, the Romans couldn't have the satisfaction. They actually found the game up on Masada when they got there. It's still there. It still exists. Fascinating. It wasn't until 1948, 70 years ago, that Israel became a nation and got their property back. And God had said, righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. Your political leaders will cause your nation to be wiped out. And he was true to his word. And all the money in the temple was taken by the Romans and they were, they were eviscerated. And you know how they got a nation back in 1948? It took 6 million Jews in the Holocaust to be killed. So, when they liberated the concentration camps and they saw all these emaciated Jews, they didn't know what to do with them. 
Europe still was anti-Semitic and they didn't want anything to do with the Jews, but they saw what had been done to humanity and they just, and they didn't want them to come into their country. So they put them back in the concentration camps. We didn't have anywhere else to put them. They liberated the concentration camps and put them back in there to live, but they gave them food. And everyone's like, I don't want the Jews in my country. I don't want the Jews in my country. And they all looked and they said, well, there's swampland in the Middle East. Apparently that's where they came from. Let's let them go back. Balfour agreement. They send all the Jews back. And the UN agrees. Well, all the nations agreed. Let's put them there. 1948. That's a hand of God giving them a foothold in the world. The only democracy republic in the entire 1040 window. And the day they declared their independence, every nation invaded them. And this is the picture that the Lord concludes by looking and saying, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stone those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your chicks together as a, as a mother hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you are not willing. See your house is left to you desolate. For I say to you, you shall see me no more till you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The Lord wanted them to repent. He wanted them to not be hypocrites. He wanted them to no longer shut people up so they couldn't access the truth. A hypocrite doesn't enter into the truth and he shuts the doors for others to enter. And God said, let them in. You'll know the truth. The truth will set you free. All men are created equal and endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights, life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness. When in the course of human events, it becomes necessary for one people, anytime, any people, it wasn't just for America. It's freedom. It's freedom. Free exchange of ideas. But the only way that we can stop the free exchange of ideas and, and to suppress people is to no longer allow the free exchange of, and we, we, we don't want to teach them how to read and we need to dumb down the populace and we need to cause everyone to be apathetic and not participate. And then we watch this freedom erased. And then it falls on us and God's heart is broken because he's crying out. He's saying, I want to gather you as a mother hen gathers her chicks. And the story you've heard, I, I love this story. The farmer, his barn burned down. He had a prize hen that had won every state championship. As he walks out, he sees the burned carcass of his prized hen and he's just heartbroken. This thing had won every award possible. And in disgust and frustration, looking at the burned carcass of this month, of this hen, just like this, he just kicks it. And when he kicks it, all the chicks run out from underneath alive. You see, the Lord took the penalty of our sins that we could be reconciled to the Father. There is a chasm. God the Father, sinful man. Sin separates us from the Father. Bible says blood must be shed for the remission of sin. There's a penalty to be paid. So Christ pays the penalty on the cross and that cross is the bridge for men to come to the truth that the truth would set them free. And the idea is suppress that because if we can suppress that, they'll never know the freedom. We can control them. And on this earth, we can cause them to be our slaves. And the Lord says, you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. Stand fast therefore in the liberty for which Christ has set you free. And we contend for ideology, and I close with this. The religious world is hypocritical, so is the political world. You've seen this before. Those who enter our country illegally and those who employ them disrespect the rule of law. And because we live in an age where terrorists are challenged at our borders, we simply cannot allow people to pour into our United States undetected, undocumented, unchecked. Americans are right to demand better border security and better enforcement of immigration laws. Right? I am not contending in the political realm, but I am contending in the religious realm. And I am frustrated by the pulpits in America that would use the word of God incorrectly to suppress men and women who have covenanted under a system of government designed by God in the Noahic Covenant to say we agree together that we the people in order to form a more perfect union we agree to that as citizens and borders you go oh there's no borders wait a minute yes there is god designed borders read genesis 11 he gave different languages different borders different nations 
People, you know, ministers quote Matthew 25, 35, for I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. We all need to do this for everyone. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's an individual call from Christ to an individual, but it's not towards a nation. And for the minister who's saying that or the politician saying that, then you have them move in with you. And the Pope who decries our president, I'm thinking, then take the wall down at the Vatican. Any one of the politicians that has a wall around their house, take it down. We have, we have agreed to a system of laws as citizens of the United States. We are the sovereign. We've laid these down. And if you want to be a part, we welcome you. But you have to agree to what we agree to. If someone breaks into your house, are they allowed to be there? Hello? Oh, good. I thought I was the only one who thought that. Are they allowed to break in your country? It has nothing to do with a love for humanity. They're people. We are people. God loves them. But the idea that if you're going to espouse this and not adhere to it, you're a hypocrite. Take them into your home. Amnesty advocates preach, uh, amnesty advocates preach open border morality. They, they don't live up to it. If it's imposed by the government, it's not voluntary. One pastor up in Sacramento said, the wall is a physical object created by man, 800,000 human beings created in the image of God by God. Well, I got news for you. Walls are biblical. Read Nehemiah 1 through Nehemiah 7. Read Isaiah 54, Ezekiel 42. God ordained walls. Another evangelical leader wrote, roughly 700,000 young people are poised to lose their right to work lawfully in the U.S., not to mention their dreams of a future in this country, the country they were brought to as children without choice. So am I responsible for the crimes of their parents? A mother breaks into a home, steals my car, and her children use the ill-gotten gains for good. Am I still entitled to restoration of my property? Exodus 22 is legal aliens, this idea that this is what God cites. Now I'll leave you with this. Christian leaders want to preach accurately on immigration, but they should acknowledge a few things first. One, nations are God's idea, Genesis 11. The disillusion of border security and national sovereignty are unholy gestures according to scripture. Two, citizenship is a principle defended in the Bible. In the Old Testament, strangers were respected, Leviticus 19, Deuteronomy 10, but they were expected to adopt all the customs of Israel, not retain their original cultural views, Numbers 15. In the New Testament, Paul, the apostle, asserted his Roman citizenship to address uh, the abuses of the Roman soldiers, Acts 22, if you want to take a look at that. He also addressed his fellow Christians as citizens of heaven, Philippians 3, Colossians 3. Membership in a defined national compact matters and should, be, and should not be pushed aside. Uh, Christians are called to honor their rulers. This is true. But the ruler in America is we the people. Instead of championing amnesty, Christian leaders should reference the ideal immigration, and that's found by Ruth the Moabitess, if you ever want to see that. Unlike the 11 to 16 million illegal aliens in our country, um, depending on your official tallies, Ruth did not break into her adoptive nation of Israel. She had a sponsor, her mother-in-law, Naomi, and there were other factors in which Ruth obeyed. Just take a look at it, Ruth chapter 1. One, Ruth said, for whither thou goest, I will go. Wherever you go, I will go. She would not uh, she would attend to Naomi, recognize her place in her new country is based solely on the goodness of her mother-in-law. Two, where you lodge, I will lodge. She lived with Naomi, was under her care, not depending on someone else, particularly the state and taxpayers. Your people will be my people. This statement sums up the assimilation perfectly. Uh, your God will be my God. While our free society does not demand religious adherence to one creed, we should expect immigrants to embrace our cultural moral values that we are created in the image of God endowed by our creator with certain inalienable rights, yes? Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. Ruth pledged a complete break with her pagan country and culture, and she refused to abandon her new country or identity, uh, and, and her new country. So the very least, politicians and pastors should stop shaming the public by misusing scripture. And I would say this, every country has a right to strong borders, safe citizens, and secure sovereignty. These are not unchristian expectations in the slightest you see, folks, if you don't know what God says and you suppress the truth of the lie, you will be indoctrinated, not educated. 
And the Lord has come that you would know the truth and the truth would set you free. Study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman who need not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And if you don't know what that is and you are not equipped, you cannot give a reason for your faith in season and out of season. You can't contend for culture or what is right unless you read. We don't do 52 weeks of biblical literacy so that you are illiterate at the end of 52 weeks. And we don't want just four-year-olds reciting it. We must be a biblically literate culture and be prepared to transform the culture for those things that set the populace free. This is a nation of laws. Those laws have come for the reasons to set us free. And it's about time we understand that and protect that. And hypocrites will do their best to convolute it and suppress you. But Christ has come to set you free. Your yoke is easy and your burden is light. Jesus says, come to me, all you are burdened and heavy laden. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I've come that you might have life and life more abundant. A place where you can raise your family, expansive borders with joy. And to raise them in the truth, that they would know the truth and the truth would set them free. And who they are and what they're created to do. And they're not subjected to any ruler, but they've been created in the image of God with inalienable rights. What a great, great gift we've been given. Do you know this? Don't lose it. You see, we're not here for our generation. We're here for the ones coming up behind us. Fight for it. And may God bless you in that endeavor in Jesus' name. Amen. Lord, thank you for your word. We thank you for this day and we thank you for the truth that we've come to know that the truth would set us free. Lord, we we pray that as we have examined these woes that we would not find ourselves hypocritical, but that we would clean up our side of the street that we wouldn't be whitewashed sepulchers or glasses that are cleaned on the outside, but not the inside, that our lives would be lived as servants, that we would humble ourselves in the sight of the Lord and he would lift us up, that we'd love our enemies and do good to those who spitefully use us. But like you did in the public square, Lord, we would contend for ideology and, and, and Lord, that there would be a balance. So God, with, with your wisdom and knowledge that you impart to us, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, we pray that you would empower us to do the same. We thank you, Lord, for your goodness. We thank you for your word. And we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, in a moment, I'm going to ask you to stand, and, and we're going to close with a song that will teach you the scripture. Dennis Prager said that people would call into his show, and they would say, you know, he could pick any topic he wanted. And he said this, how many of you didn't do drugs? And if you didn't do drugs, why? Call in and tell me. He said, Hundreds of people called in with the exception of one or two. He said, every other caller called in and said, I didn't do drugs because I feared my mother or I feared my father. None of them said, I didn't do drugs because I loved my mother or I love my father. You see, we think, oh, we're a broken culture. We need to be loved more. No, we need to fear God and fear our parents and do what is right. And I'm not talking about scared to death. I'm talking about honor. This is, this is for our culture to contend for. And, and we've overblown the concept of love. We need to get back to obedience. And, and this, is, this is what God's called us to. And so I want us to realize this is a beautiful gift we've been given. Let's start to claim it, own it, and live it. And may God strengthen you in that endeavor in Jesus' name. Amen.